Welcome to the ebook revolution podcast. I'm Emily Craven, bringing you interviews on ebooks, marketing, and digital writing experiments. The companion website for this podcast is ebookrevolution.com.au. Enjoy the show. Hi guys, Emily Craven here. Welcome to the podcast for June 2014. Today we have a really interesting one about those coffee table uh, illustration photo heavy books which you can now really easily self-publish through Blurb. So we'll be talking to Donna Boyer and Gary Trin uh, from Blurb today. But first I just wanted to give you a bit of an update as to the different things that have been happening for me over the past couple of months. The ebook revolution relaunch went really well. Thank you for everybody who came and participated. It was a lot of fun, a lot of prizes were run. Thank you very much for all of the community support that came in around that. In the interim, I have finished the first draft of my book, The Grand Adventures of Madeline Kane. I'm currently in the midst of editing it, and I'm hoping that at the end of July, that will be when the second book in that series comes out. So I haven't decided yet on what I'm gonna name the book or what the cover's gonna look like, so I'll need your guys' help in some polls for that. But uh, I'm really excited about it coming out and I hope uh, if you haven't had a a look at the Grand Adventures of Madeleine Kane yet, it's going to be on special for 99 cents from the 13th to the 16th of June as part of a summer splash blog hop with a whole heap of other indie authors. So get on it if if you'd like it cheap. The other thing that I wanted to let you guys know is that uh, my Choose Your Own Adventure project where we were building real life Choose Your Own Adventures, I actually ended up getting a grant from the Brisbane City Council to take that to the next level by turning it into an app. So uh, the project is now called Story City and Story City is going to be turned into an app for iPhone and Android in Australia first before we sort of uh, road test that a bit. So I'm really excited to be able to do real life Choose Your Own Adventures and have to worry about all of the pesky permissions from governments and whatnot. So huge thank you to the Brisbane City Council Innovation Award who gave me the masses of amounts of money that you need to build an app these days. So it's going to be really exciting. So keep an eye out for Story City if you're into um, discovering new places and, and taking part in your own stories. So uh, that is the big news for the moment. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the eBook Revolution podcast. I'm Emily Craven, and today in this podcast, we will be looking at how indie authors can create their own print-on-demand coffee table books, you know, photographic or um, uh, image, like illustration-heavy books. So today we're speaking to the lovely Gary and Donna from Blurb. Donna Boyer is a self-confessed product geek and started out at the Harvard Business School where she researched the global economic impact of technology innovations. Before Blurb, Donna was the Vice President of Product at Callaway Digital Arts where she worked with publishers to produce award-winning illustrated books for the iPad. As Chief Product Officer at Blurb, Donna is heading the charge into the digital and mobile space. Thank you very much for joining us, Donna. Thank you, Emily. Happy to be here. Then we also have with us Gary Trin. So Gary is Blurb's Community Manager for Australia. He has worked in the graphic design and publishing industry for more than 10 years and is a fine arts photographer. Since 2010, he has managed Blurb's creative events and local business partnerships and taught Australian writers and designers how to self-publish print and e-books with Blurb's online platform. Thank you for joining us, Gary. Thank you for having me, Emily. 
No. Well, I mean, when I um, heard that you guys had been doing a little bit of bit of an expansion, I was really curious because you guys are known for your beautiful photographic books, and I was really excited to find out that um, now we can do more with those. Yeah, you know, a couple of weeks ago we launched our Amazon program, which means that now once you've made a blurb book, you can sell that book on Amazon. Which is very exciting. We'll we'll get into that in a little bit more detail yeah. later. But first, I wanted to ask you. You know, what sort of authors benefit from this opportunity to be able to create and self-publish? You know, graphic-heavy books. What sort of authors? You know, every graphic designer's dream is to have their books, have their work seen in print. Every kind of photographer's holy grail is to get that photo book published. Having tools and ways, graphic designers, photographers, anybody to get their book. Print is what we, you know, our aim is. Obviously, it's not just photographers as well. You guys take it, all images into your into your various tools. So I mean, like children's book authors, if they were looking for a way to do print that they could then, you know, distribute via Amazon, they can now do that through Blurb. Architects who, you know, it's it's part of their business to have these beautifully presented architectural books. Historians who need these photographs to help illustrate various points and, and bits and pieces and I mean you could, I suppose you could even go as far as to say you know comic book artists and um, and graphic novelists can could benefit from the being able to produce these print self-published sort of coffee table books. Yeah I mean basically anybody that wants to tell a story. So can you give us a little bit of a background on Blurb? Yeah so Blurb started by a lady called Eileen Gittens. The company started in 2006. Before the company started she was a manager at Kodak and she was also a photographer, and she was working on a personal photography project whereby she wanted, the end result of that project was she wanted to publish about 30, 50 books, and she wanted those books to be high quality, professionally bound, you know, and she just wanted to um, give those books away to the people that participated in the project. And at the time, she realized that she couldn't do that. There was no online tool for her to do that. So that's how Blurb came about, was to help photographers, graphic designers, anybody that wants to tell a story could do so in their own you know, beautiful books. Even artists whose main thing is not photography, they can, you know, I've seen these beautiful, amazing street art books that have been put together with Blurb as well. People have taken all these very street arts and collated them into one beautiful book that you can buy. Um, I've actually got several street art books of of yeah. my own because I love them so much. I suppose you can say that self-publishing these sorts of books is for anyone who wants to have um, a like a beautiful product, right? You know, it's it's anyone who wants to have a beautiful, tactile work of art. That's right. And I've seen a lot of amazing books that are art objects because of the new technology. As we said before, you know, Blurb is known for its beautiful photo book, but for, for a very long time, authors have been able to create these photo books with Blurb, but they've never sort of been able to sell them outside the Blurb store. Mm. Uh, but as you said, that's changed. You guys have made a sort of a, a deal with Amazon. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we have Amazon distribution now. So now, get, now once you've made a Blurb book, you can sell that Blurb book on Amazon. And you can set your own price. It means that you know, Australian authors, are now you're opening your book to this massive global market. We offer a free ISBN with that book. So we're trying to make it as easy as possible for any author that made a book with us to be able to sell their book for Amazon. So it's a one-click process. And it's a print on, yeah, it's a, it's a print on demand, isn't it? Where if you know one person orders your book, then that book gets printed and shipped to them. That's right. Yeah. 
And whereabouts are those books printed? So say if someone from the UK ordered it off, off Amazon, is it printed in Australia or is it printed in the UK and shipped to them? Um, we have printers all over the world and we have a printer in Australia. So depending on where the customer, end customer is, the books get printed at the, low, the closest printer to that customer. That's right. Lovely. Uh, Ed, can you, can you walk us a little bit through like, um, how the business arrangement works with that? So obviously you would create your, blur, your book with Blurb and then you would set it up as distribution through Amazon. So you know how much of a cut does Amazon make? So I would, I would assume that Blurb takes, you know, like, like Lightning Source where Blurb um, is responsible for the printing and so they will take the printing costs and then you offer the book at a wholesale price to Amazon and then you sort of get the, the cut in the middle. Is that that's, Same here? That's right. Blurb takes a cut on the, the, the printing and the, I guess the, the shipping. Amazon takes a 15% cut and a $1.35 cut on top of that 15%. And then the author gets the rest of the profit. Actually, that's quite a lot better than like when you're thinking about Lightning Source or Ingram Sparks, where they sort of insist that you give the wholesaler a 40% discount and here it's only 15%. So that's great. Now, you would have seen a lot of you know, unique books come through the Blurb store. So can you give us examples of, you know, what some people have created and, and like in what genres they are? So a little bit of a brainstorming session, if you will. One of the best parts of my job is I get to review all of these books. I get to see them as they pass by. And what fascinates me is the breadth of content. In a world where people have such diverse interests and can connect around those interests on social media, it's amazing to me the communities of just passions people have. So everything from, you know, rare collections of teapots to family recipes that go back generations to city planning. We have this very well-selling book that's about the sewer tunnels under Milwaukee or martial arts takedown holds or roller derby. The, the breadth of content that we have and the depth of interest around that is, is just an incredible phenomenon. So really sort of niche, quite niche books. Um, and at the same time also, look, I've seen a lot of mainstream books come out of Blurb as well. A lot of people think that, you know, or, uh, the impression that I get in Australia is that a lot of people know Blurb as the book that you go to to make someone's 21st birthday present for. But I've also seen comic books, graphic novels, children's books all come out of Blurb as well. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, that, that's where we're seeing an incredible amount of growth where people have stories to tell and they may be a professional illustrator or they may have an idea that sparked through their experiences with their own child, for example. But the number of graphic novels, of children's books, of um, local histories that we see is is growing exponentially. Hmm. I mean, I love seeing these books because with print on demand, you're only printing, you know, you have to print one book. So it means that it really opens up for you to experiment with the platform. Some of my favorite books have been these really experimental books. For example, Giselle Ginsburg. I saw this book in an exhibition. It was a blur book. And there was no text in the book. There was no images. The book was filled with QR codes, pages and pages of QR codes. And I had to get my phone out and scan these QR codes. And then once I scanned the QR codes, I realized that it's two artificial intelligent robots having a conversation with one another. So That's it's very awesome. conceptual, but really, it blew my mind. You know, it's really, really experimental. Um, was, it, was it a big book or was no, it like it was a, a little... small square book. It was a very yeah. small square book. It had about 200 pages and it was 
fitted her concept of having two artificial intelligent robots have, having conversation through this book because you know how, how would a how would robots talk through QR codes? You know, of course, mm. makes perfect sense. Um, whenever I show these that book to people, their their eyes always light up and you can see like light bulbs popping off their heads because it's like, oh my god, you know, this is incredible. I could really experiment with my work. And so do the QR codes lead to animations or do they lead to like images? It, they lead to just speech bubbles. So you scan one. Nice. And then someone, and it's, so it's, it's actually two artificial, it's a, it's a conversation between two artificial intelligent robots. That's sweet. I like that. And another book I've seen was this Zoom book that Chloe, her name is, a really nice um, Australian graphic designer made whereby it's like a flip book and instead of flipping through like an animation, it's, it's starts off with an image of Tokyo and then as you're flipping through the book it zooms in into the image so it zooms into the one to one pixel so you zoom wow. into, it's like Photoshop you're zooming into one one pixel you know and then she there's that other book called the fade book where once again like a flip book but you're fading into an image just like when you're developing an image in the in the photographic tray and you're seeing the image you know slowly appear it's done mm. that it's done that through a book so we have a lot of people doing these experimental projects and also printing out books and also customizing it, you know, adding pages in, you know, popping CDs in, you know, um, modifying the covers, you know, being really creative with the book. We have Charles Klein made a book called Dad Slides and it's a personal history book. It's 160 pages, it's full color, 20 centimeters by 25 centimeter book. So it's about an A4 size book. It's hardcover image wrap and it's a book that won first prize in the Ballarat um, International Photo Festival. And basically, he, he lives in Melbourne growing up. His dad was a photographer, and now now he's a photographer too. And his dad passed away a couple of years ago, and he, Charles found his dad's slides in the basement. And what Charles did was, technology being these days, it's hard to get a, you know, it's hard to find a slide projector. So Charles scanned all his old dad's slides and put him into a book. And I just think that's such a beautiful way of telling the story of his dad, merging their two professions together, because now Charles is a photographer. And you get these old, beautiful images of Melbourne in the 70s and the 60s that, Charles, Charles' dad's taken. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know what I love about it? I love the fact that he's taking old technology and he's using new technology to talk about the old technology, you know, the, because the photos were originally taken in slides and now you can't really show slides without having to have a slide projector. You also gave me some examples when we were having a chat about comic and, and graphic novels, which they do like a really lovely like soft covers. And that's the great thing as well, is that you could offer like fans different versions as well. Like, So if you're a comic or a graphic novelist and you're wanting to self-publish like print-on-demand, hardcover books that people can, can hold rather than just view on the web. You could offer it to them in softcover. You could offer it to them in hardcover. You can offer it to them in, um, you know, a dust jacket wrap. Like, a, they can have the book in whichever format they wish. Yeah, or from the one file that you've created. I also noticed uh, when I was going through the blurb site as well that there were quite a few children's book authors who had done up these beautiful square sort of full color children's books and they would offer them in soft cover or hard cover and you you got the choice as to as to what you wanted them to be in yeah yeah if you want to pay a bit more for a hard cover you can and you've got choices and we've got paper choices too so in terms of like the paper type how does that vary what would be the most expensive in comparison to the least expensive for example Paper typing comes in different weights and different fills. So we have glossier paper and then we've got a matte, more textured kind of paper. And it just depends on what kind of photo, like book projects you're working on, whether you choose the heavier stock or whether you choose the lighter stock. 
You're in a quite a unique position where you can see the trends in various these photographic heavy books. So what what is the most popular in the blurb store? And you know what what do the most popular have in common? Um, there are some. There are, I think it's it's both the depth and the breadth that tend to sell well. So in a particular subject matter, let's say um, specialized gluten free recipes, where they have broad appeal but a specific subject and an author has a following, so they have a Twitter following or a Facebook fan base that they can market to, those tend to sell exceptionally well because the, the author already is connected to their audience. But on the other side of things, in the example of children's books, we see, as a specific example, a lot of alphabet books. In alphabet books, that get illustrated in really interesting ways. And those have broad appeal because parents will buy multiple multiple alphabet books for their children. So you'll see alphabet books about San Francisco that are based on San Francisco landmarks or alphabet books and funny animals or alphabet books with ballerinas making the letters. And so there's a broad range of those that get created and those tend to sell very well because they have broad appeal to kids. So to sum it up, it's everything from very specific subjects to a subject that has broad appeal to a wide variety of people, but also where we started is just very beautiful, very artistic photo books. So I would say there's no one particular category, but the thing they have in common is the um, just the quality of the illustration and the quality of the graphics tend to elevate above, above the rest. Do you find that there tends to be like commonalities between all those? So you said that, you know, the ones that do really well tend to be the ones that have good illustrations or of like a high resolution photo. Um, do other things come into, into consideration like uh, do books of a certain size or cost sell well, that sort of thing? You know, interestingly, I had a theory about that and we have a, we have a tremendous amount of data. So I started looking at different subjects or different sizes or different page counts or different price points. And the answer to that is really no. It surprised me. But we'll see popular books in small trim sizes at a lower price point and books that are very popular in our largest trim size with a large number of pages on premium paper. So while you would think that there's a level of price sensitivity in this or size sensitivity, what we're really finding is that uh, people are either passionate about the subject matter and are, you know, and will acquire that content, whatever form factor or shape it's in, or they really appreciate the beauty of it and look at it really as an object of art in the, the size that makes the most sense for the content itself. Mm. And I, I think that's quite interesting and it's sort of it's um, more responsive of a broader trend in that, as you said, people are now buying their print books based on the the beauty of them because they know that they can get you know, normal paperback or hardcover mm -hmm. novels as e-books now and that's a bit cheaper for them. They can carry all of them around. You know, they don't have to shift them when they move house. But people, you know, you keep having people say, oh, no, but print will never go out of fashion. And this is the reason why, because you have these beautifully made books and it doesn't matter about the expense of these particular books. If they're beautifully made and they're about exactly what it is you want, you are going to pay that money to get them. 
I think that's such an important point. You know, people talk about the demise of the printed book. And when people talk about that, it's, um, they tend to be in genres where an ebook is a replacement for the print book. But we all have those books, and they can be of you know, any subject that matters to you that you would consider coffee table or bookshelf worthy. And I have those books in my, in my house, on my bookshelves and on my coffee table. I'm sure you do too. And I'm willing to bet that those books look different and that they're on different subjects. But the key point is that there's something that triggers that emotional connection that says, you know, this book is, is, is it's worth buying and it's, it's meaningful to me. And those come in so many shapes and sizes that it's really a privilege to be able to, to make them come into life in this world. And, and your, your comment also on, on the fact of things being a broad appeal, I think also fit into um, the culture of the thing that you're trying to sell as well, like cookbooks. I, would, I don't think I would ever really buy a digital cookbook because I want to be able to have a physical cookbook in the, on the counter because I know that I'm going to get flour on it mm-hmm. and all these other bits and pieces of crap, which, which is not going to work very well if I drop it on top of a digital device. Um, <laughs> So, so cookbooks to me are things that I, you know, that that people still buy in a physical sense, and it's the same with uh, like comic books. Comic mm-hmm. books have a culture of being a collectible, where people have to have the physical thing, and those physical things gain in value if you know if they were a limited edition first run or, or whatever. Um, so there's also like a collecting cultures as well that that sort of play into that. Very much so. Comic books is a great example of a genre that is just a collectible, that owning it, you're making a choice and you're saying, okay, I can get this thing digitally, but this this book, this magazine, this comic book that I'm buying is a represented, representation of me. Like it is an investment and it is worthy of shelf space in my house. And that is, that's a very personal thing. People have strong emotional commitments to print books in that sense. Um, the interesting thing, you mentioned cookbooks. One thing that fascinates me about cookbooks is that uh, many people don't cook from cookbooks. They buy them as a memory of a place that they've lived or of a restaurant that they frequent and have absolutely no intention of making the recipes, but it's really in support of that. It's a preservation of the memory of a place or of a time or of an experience that they have. And I think that extends to all of our books. No, I, I agree with that because I know that when my partner came back from China, the number of Chinese cookbooks that he bought on his return mm. and then has never cooked from. <laughs> I have to admit, I don't, I don't cook. It's, it's a, I just don't cook. It's not good when I cook. But I do buy quite a few cookbooks and it's not with the intention of ever making the recipe. And it, it's just, it's, it, there's such an association of, of the culture to food and of memories. And it's the same thing in, I think comic books is another great example. Travel books is another great example of that, where it evokes a memory and it evokes an emotion that this having a printed book gives you an opportunity to hold on to that. We're we're seeing sort of that same culture sort of igniting in the photographic bucket too. In, in, um, as in the collectors doing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a strong photographic collection, photographic book, collecting culture that's, you know, that's um, appearing globally. The collectability of photo books is a bit different than in the comic book world, where you're absolutely right. That's, that is a, that's a genre that in and of itself is collectible. Like that's, mm. 
it's it's just a, a whole world unto itself. Whereas what's happening in the photo book space outside of a genre like comics is actually more a reaction, ironically, to the amount of content that's gone digital. So in a uh-huh. world where people are documenting you know, what is important to them, whether it's you know, their hobby or their photo shoots or what they had for dinner or their, you know, their trip to build an orphanage in Africa, because photography has become so much more accessible, there's just a, a phenomenal increase in content in this world. And that content mm. tends to be shared digitally. And the challenge with that is that it's very ephemeral, that there is mm. no lasting, there's no substance to that. So what started as you know, a convenience function where people are just sharing everything digitally has led to this, um, this desire, if you will, for people to, to curate and preserve that content in analog form. And we're seeing that as just a resurgence of kind of the greatest hits in a photo book form. Wow. It's, it's not necessarily bizarre because when, when you think about it as well, the challenge of keeping digital records mm-hmm. is quite a, a big one because, you know, CDs these, these years only last for like five or six years before yeah. they start to break down. Hard drive, same thing, only lasts for maybe like 10 years if you're lucky before they start to break down. Um, and so making sure that people have like a physical copy of these particular photographs just in case because now we no longer have negatives and even negatives had the problem where they would mm-hmm. start to get mold on them and those sorts of things um so i find that quite yeah if you the, think the logical step if you think back sort of to the old days when people would when you would ask you know that that very common question of what would you take out of your house if it were on fire and the answer was very typically your photo albums well, photo mm. albums have kind of disappeared. Mm. And what's happened now is that that family photo album has been, because of the accessibility of you know, really a fantastic camera very often in your pocket attached to your mm. phone, that the ability for people to make lasting memories of whether it's a, very, it's a personal experience or a hobby or something semi-professional and documenting that along the way has really led to this need for people to to really curate because there's thousands of photographs now and they're just, they're flitting by in Twitter or on Facebook and to pick those and to choose them and to put them in something memorable is, it's, um, it's very much a trend we're seeing. Interesting because people maybe, you know, potentially since the and I'm completely theorizing here everybody but you know since the global crisis people aren't necessarily able to you know buy the big photographs so they like to but they still want them so they have them in like a book format yeah I think that's right on that you know you it's it's a it's art collecting in a different way I'm seeing a trend of people when I first found out about blurb they think I have to do a big giant coffee table book and later on they went and do a few books they start moving towards kind of the smaller books. I'm seeing that kind of trend that they realize that it doesn't have to be a big, giant coffee table or encompassing book. You know, it could be smaller books that maybe they release in volume. It doesn't have to be all just one big thing. And I'm also seeing a trend of photographers realizing now that they can easily create a book. So they're finding these projects that 
they have hidden under their beds, but there was there was no way they can publish these projects or anywhere show off these projects. They'll rig them out and they'll put them into a book. Mm. It's interesting that you're talking about putting things in volumes, like not having to have everything in that big coffee table book that costs like 80 bucks or whatever it is, having things in the smaller volumes because people will still buy a beautiful book that's a little bit smaller and in fact I know a lot of people who buy series of these beautiful books that are smaller and so it's very interesting that you said that that's the trend of where people start off with the big grandose books and kind of realize oh well it doesn't need to be that it can can be a lot littler. Um, I think it's also easier for the the author to make those smaller books because they don't think they don't have to you know they're not weighed down by having to tackle this huge project, you know, they, they're breaking the project down and say, okay, I'm going to make maybe the first year, then the second year book, and then, you know, the third year book. It's, it's just easier for them to do those books. The other thing that I did want to ask, the hardest thing is always deciding how, particularly in children's books as well, is how many, how many pages is like the maximum? You know, what is the most cost-effective number of pages when you're producing something like this, a beautiful print book my strategy is in regards to pages and size and, and stuff like that is just to walk into a bookstore pick up a book that i like that pick up a book format that i like and feel the weight of them feel it in my hands you don't want it to be too few pages so it kind of ends up being too much like a brochure you know you want it to feel like a book you want it to feel substantial just go in the bookstore check out the books that's available and check out see what you like have a feel of them from there look feel the paper type you know feel the cover type you know you can get a sense of what might work for your project and in terms of the printing of the the books is it does it get cheaper the more pages you add is it the same cost up to 20 pages and over 20 pages it starts costing more or how does that all work there's a price for the first 20 pages because 20 pages is the most the minimum amount of pages you can print in the blurb book and then from there on it's you know, we charge per page as in back in front of the page or is in oh when we, yeah when we say page we say it's sides so one yep, one, yep, one piece of paper of page, has two yep. sides so it's sort of like a flat fee up to the 20 and then it will cost cost more over the top of that yeah per page yeah mm. And I'm assuming that if you then got whole, like if you got a stack of hundred printed up for a photography exhibition or something like that, then you would get a percentage off for printing more. We have volume discounts, so yeah. once you print twenty or more books, um, the volume discounts kind of sets in. So the more books you print, um, the more volume discount you'll get. Number of pages you have uh, is only a cost consideration if you're thinking about print on demand and the sort of the reader at the other end. Each page is only a few cents more, so then I, you know, it's not like that expensive to add 10, 20 pages to a book. It's only a few cents more, so. The cost would come in when you're shipping it, and, you know, depending on how heavy it is, it's going to be how much it costs to ship it. You know, our shipping cost is ten ninety nine per book. Mm. And is that charged, like, if, if someone buys a book through Amazon, do they pay, like, Amazon shipping, or do they pay uh, blurb shipping with that? How does that work? It's a great question, and it's a bit of a confusing answer. So Amazon sets the shipping prices. So when you purchase the book from Amazon, it's Amazon's pricing for the book and it's Amazon pricing for the, uh, the shipping. The book is produced and physically shipped by Blurb using Amazon's shipping methods. Physically fulfilled by Blurb, but it's Amazon that's setting the prices for that. If we sort of, I suppose, compare strategies for a minute, so let's say that you know one author's goal is to sell a lot of copies and then another author's goal is to increase business exposure, how might each author design their book and their strategies to match those goals? 
Well, one of the best ways to sell a lot of books is ebook. So ebooks, you know, because of the immediacy of delivery, because of the often much lower price point and the convenience factor, ebooks are a great way to reach a broad audience at an affordable price point. And you guys, and we'll talk about this later in the podcast, actually have um, the, the Book Right program that you guys have actually allow you to transport those beautiful photo heavy books into iTunes as well which um which I which was a bit exciting when That's I found right. that. That's right. I mean our books go seamlessly as as an author if you choose this option the book can go seamlessly to iBooks author as well which is just a great opportunity to it's it's a fantastic user experience for someone who already has an iTunes account or an Apple ID to just download the book from iBooks directly. We make it really easy. It's just, it's literally just a checkbox on our website saying that you have an ebook and you'd like to distribute it through Apple and we handle everything else for you. So it becomes, we submit it to Apple on your behalf, handle all the transactions and all the setup for you. Apple then reviews it, approves it, and it's available within, within Apple in the iBook mm-hmm. store. And so if you wanted to sell a lot of print books rather than e-books, is there a particular way you'd go about that? Yeah, there, there's, there's really two considerations on the print book side. The first is, do you want to sell that book off of the, through what we call a personal storefront, which is using the Blurb e-commerce platform, or do you want to sell that book through Amazon? And there's pros and cons of both. When you sell through the Blurb bookstore or through your own your own website using Blurb's e-commerce platform, that allows you to have a direct connection to your existing audience. So you can you can market to them directly. You can send something out through Facebook, through Twitter, and it allows you to keep a higher percentage of that profit. The downside of that is what Amazon is known for is really allowing you to expand your audience. On Amazon, your book is searchable in really the world's largest bookstore. And you can get ratings and reviews that will help make your book become more visible to people outside of your original audience. So a really key decision factor for an author is are they looking to sell to within their own circles or are they looking to expand their circles? If they're looking to sell within their own circles, that direct connections to them enabled through the Blurred Bookstore works well because they can sell at a lower price point, keep more of the profits, and handle that transaction directly. If they're looking to expand to a broader audience and to reach people outside their immediate circles, Amazon is a is a fantastic option for that. So that and that makes a lot of sense, obviously, because that's why um, you need to make sure that your ebook is in both Amazon and, and other mm-hmm. places as well, um, because they I think it's something like they have at least seventy five percent of the ebook selling trade. Um, and I'm not quite sure what that what that price is with the with the print books, um, but they definitely are the largest. In terms of if you wanted to use a book to get exposure for your business, how would you go about doing that? I mean, I assume that you would maybe you you would go the you know the full getting the hardback and making sure that you had glossy paper and and all of those sorts of high quality options that you can choose. That's exactly right. For people who are making a book to showcase their business, it's often a very different process where what they're looking to do is it's not about price point for them. It's about putting their, their work in the best possible lights. So they'll often choose 
a hardback book with premium paper, and they'll buy multiple copies of it and distribute it to their clients directly or to prospects directly, whether that's as a, as a wrap-up for a show or as a thank you to donors or in a gallery. It's a different model where they're not necessarily looking for distribution through a store, but they're looking for the highest quality book that they can order in short runs and continue to revise as their portfolio or their client list changes and keep it up to date. Even authors who who write those general books that you can, you know, put out as e-books, um, you know, you know, the YA authors and the crime authors and, and all those sorts of authors, you could still use blurb to do like special editions of your book in that in that way where you're wanting to get more exposure for yourself you're wanting to create a um, a restricted or rare item that people can purchase and so you could use blurb in that way in that uh, you can make special edition books that have you know beautiful illustrations and whatnot and you could potentially rather than using them as a, a business tool to expose yourself you could then use those as a rare um, you know book that you can put up for giveaways or that people can buy for, you know, X amount of dollars because they're rare. Absolutely. What we'll see a lot of is people doing multiple tiers of their books. We see this quite often actually through Kickstarter projects or things that are crowdfunded where people will make a book and they'll make an ebook available to everyone and then they'll have a soft cover version and then what we call a bespoke version for a very special limited edition collector collectible. And that will often be with the highest quality hardcover and binding and foil stamped with ribbon bookmarks and perhaps special casing. So we can do that full range off of the same file. So you create your content of your book once and we really want, we, in our tools, our focus is to help authors really think about their content and then decide their output later. So they design their content and then they can choose, is this an ebook? Will this be a PDF? Will this be a soft cover? Do they want to sell this on Amazon? Do they want to order just 50 very special or 300 very special bespoke versions to give away or to save for something special for a book signing, for example? And so we really have focused very hard, especially in our latest releases, on allowing people to have that full range of content options because different it, it, your needs change and your audience changes and an ebook might be the absolute right solution for one situation whereas a foil stamped debossed book in a slip case may be the right for another that's that's awesome. I'm really I'm really excited to hear that. I uh I don't feel like I have enough of an audience to be able to make use of that yet, but <laughs> When I when I do gather more of an audience, that's what I want to be able to do. I want to be able to make those sorts of versions because it's exciting and um, it's interesting to do those sorts of, of projects. It's fun too. You know, don't don't sell yourself short. You know, making the book actually what we found with a lot of our authors is they feel like they don't yet have a book in them or they don't yet have that audience, and it's actually the act of curating your content and making your book that has your audience grow because it becomes, you know, it becomes this, this real thing in the world. 
Yeah. yeah. So I suppose the, the next logical question to ask you is, you know, how should an author realistically price these types of books? Because obviously you know, they cost more to print because they're heavier and use, use glossy paper and all, and you know, color and all those sorts of things. So I'm wondering what are the realistic pricing ranges at the moment? Um, you want to price your book as competitively as possible. But the good news is with Blurb, you don't have to shell out, Blurb and Print on Demand, you don't have to shell out a lot of money to print these books. You know, I think the best way to find that is, and this is what I encourage our authors to do, is go onto Amazon or go to a local bookstore and look at the books that are on the shelves. It's almost as if, um, in some ways, the best example I can give to this is an experience that I recently had, is when you're selling your house, your house has emotional value to you. So you'll tend to think it's worth something different than the market comps for it. It's the same thing, and that's why realtors are really helpful. It's the same thing in the book world where it's really hard to judge the price of your own book or your own work. And the best thing to do if you're looking for that book to have widespread sales is to look at similar books and to price it accordingly. Because that is a consideration where people are deciding between two books. They'll often say, well, this book looks similar, but it's, it's a couple dollars cheaper, so I'll go with that. So you just want to be in the ballpark and know what that is. And it changes for different types of books. So a children's book will be at a different price point than a comic book, which is often you know, very cheap, or a magazine, which is often you know, viewed as disposable, to a coffee table book is often upwards of $100. So there's no one answer to that, but fortunately there is really sufficient data that you can price compare with. And another thing to consider also when you're going on Amazon and looking at the prices of things is to see the the reviews. Absolutely. So, you know, how how many reviews has this particular book got? If it's the most popular one, what is that price at that it's got that many, you know, it's a, yeah. so obviously the reviews come, the reviews obviously come from the content, but it's also good to say to yourself, okay, well, these are the most popular books and these are what that price at. Absolutely. You know, while there's, there's not perfect data on how well is a book selling, the number of ratings or the number of reviews is absolutely a, a nice proxy for popularity. What is the main thing that an author needs to consider before embarking on self-publishing this style of book? My advice would be don't think too hard about it, just do it. The biggest consideration is who's your support team? You know, too often, especially when you know, the word is self-publishing, people feel like they have to do it all themselves. And while our tool is very easy to use, the reality is some people need a spell checker or an editor or you know, just a feedback loop to have before they're ready to, to kick it out of the nest. And so I would say the biggest consideration is to have a, a support network of readers and collaborators who can give you feedback along the way. And with print on demand, it makes it very easy to do that. So you can do a version and send it out for feedback back, whether it's digital or whether it's printed and continue to revise until you feel like it's ready to go. Mm, that's that's it's it's very important for for any sort of publishing as well because um you know there there are obviously those those authors who are really successful online because you know they know how to do their marketing, they're mm -hmm. able to connect with their audience, they're on all of the different platforms and and frankly 
that's not everyone. You know, you just because they can do it doesn't necessarily mean you can do it. And so you need to piece together what works best for you. And um, and it's it's definitely worthwhile putting that into consideration before you publish a book. It is. And, you know, what, one of the things that I really appreciate about indie authors is it really is a community. People are very willing to help each other and to share techniques because it is very new. And there is a lot of support out there. Now, um, you guys were talking a little bit before about offset printing, and you guys also offer something called warehousing. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works, you know, what are the benefits of that? Yeah, we offer a warehousing if you're going to print 300 um, books or more. We store them in our warehouse, and we, we handle and fulfillment too. It means that you don't have to, that you're not going to have a whole bunch of books sitting in your garage and, and space in your house. So the books will still be stored in our warehouse, and once a customer orders a book, we'll grab those books, we'll package them up, and we'll ship them to the customer. So I suppose that would be a really good option if you knew that you were going to be selling a lot of books, say, so if you're an Australian author and you, you, you knew you were going to be selling a lot of books in Australia, so you would get that offset printing done so that you had like the really cheap copies of the book and then you would have it in the warehouse so that you know if you sold a lot of copies in Australia, then you wouldn't have to do, as you said, you wouldn't have to do your own sending. You would just do the fulfillment through you. Yeah, it would be done automatically for us. And so do people like bookstores and whatnot do the orders through you or would they order through the author, for example, and then the author would put the order to you? It'll be done through us so the author doesn't have to know about it. Yeah. Nice. In terms of like how much it costs to do that, how, how expensive is it to have your, your books warehoused? So, you know, you've paid, you've paid to have these 700 books because you want to reduce the cost mm. of printing, but then how much does the warehousing, warehousing cost? We're going to be charging about 80 cents per book. So if you think about the time you save, you know, not having to wrap the books up, not having to go to the newsagent, fill in the forms and, and, you know, send the books away, 80 cents per book. That's awesome. Actually, that was a lot cheaper than I thought it would be. I thought you'd be like, yeah, it's blah blah per month. 80 cents per book, that's great. Now, we're sort of getting to the pointy end of the interview, as I like to say. What are the mistakes that you see authors make for these types of books? But my advice would be this kind of coffee table books. People don't calibrate their monitors. So calibrate your monitor. Make sure that your monitor is calibrated. So the colors print on your book, you know, as close as The way you see them on your screen. Yes, that's right. Um, just to touch on the monitor calibration, monitor calibration is a very difficult thing. Most people don't know what that means or know how to do it. And so rather than trying to teach people about that, what we did in BookRate is we, we essentially removed the need for it. So the challenge with monitor calibration or with photos is that they look different on your screen than they do in print. So with BookWrite, what we've done is we've made some sort of magic adjustments so that when you have a photo on screen, it really um, it looks like it will do, and we adjust it so it looks more nearly identical to what it will look like in print. So the need when you're using BookWrite for monitor calibration has it's it's gone because it's it's a very it's very true. People would make mistakes with it, but it's so hard that lots of people make mistakes with it. So we just removed the challenge. Um, I Wonderful. Think most of the issues that I would say are, you know, are now are less technical and more about preparing. So um, things like making sure that your, your photos are high enough resolution. And if they're not high enough resolution, we'll give you a warning that says this photo is low resolution and it shouldn't be printed at this size. That's a warning that's worth heeding. 
Like you, you make that photo, make it smaller in the layout until that warning goes away, or else the, the photo will appear lower resolution and pixelated. Um, same with, uh, with margins and uh, trim guidelines, where we really try to, to make those clear to people so that you don't go outside it. One of the, the, the easiest mistakes to make is designing for print, um, it's different than designing something on the screen. So in BookRite, we've tried to help people look like a designer, even if they're not, by giving them layout guidelines and warnings and building as much as possible of that in. So I would say the first mistake that people make is not to heed the warnings. Like, oh, it'll, it'll print okay. And if, we're, we're, if you can follow those warnings, it will greatly reduce the amount of mistakes that you have. When the book is <laughs> yeah, people um, know better, don't they? Yeah, they it, know it, better it, than you. We've been doing this for a long time, and it's it's the first time for a lot of people. So we've tried to to build as much of that as possible in to make it easier for people to make their books look professional without having to accumulate all of the knowledge that we've accumulated all of these years. Heed the warning, folks. Okay, please, please the just make it sure. The other thing I would say is uh, to proofread. So we really encourage people, especially if they're going to do a volume order, to order a copy of their book or create a PDF of their book and print it out and read through it. It's hard, especially when you are, you're used to the content. It's really easy to miss typos or to miss misspellings or to miss missing words. And that would be one of the biggest things I would encourage is to get a copy into somebody else's hands to proofread it. I've personally made that mistake multiple times. You know, we're, we're so used to doing things on screen, whether it's email or, micro, you know, just writing something in Microsoft Word um, that has autocorrect or and it, it's just, it's different when something's on screen. And when you're printing it, it becomes much more permanent. And I think we've all had that experience where we've done something quickly on screen only to print it later and notice 17 typos. And you don't want that to happen in your book. As a fiction author as well, I can definitely test to the fact that when I print, I will always print out um, the first draft of my novel and read it on paper mm. because it's, it's, I'm looking at something completely different. It's a different, um, you know, I'm not looking at a screen. I'm looking at paper um, and somehow it triggers you to use a different part of your brain and you start to recognize things better than when it is online and I even have a, um, a writing friend who will change the font and then print it out or mm -hmm. change the color and then print it out and by changing it it makes it new to your eyes and you're able to spot things better. Yeah, it, I can't emphasize that enough I mean I think you know the brain is this amazing thing and it'll fill in the blanks for you you know it knows what you mean to say and so when you're reading it online, that happens all too often. And so having it printed in front of you and in a different color or, something, or reading it out loud really makes a very big difference when you're editing. What would be your top three pieces of advice for authors moving into this space? I think my very first piece of advice would be to let go of your preconceived notions of what it means to be an author. You know, I think that with how easy this is becoming – authoring isn't just for authors anymore. People have stories to tell and they have books in them. And it's really just about getting that content out. And particularly if you're doing things that are, um, are highly illustrated, a lot of that content you already have. 
And so just go with where your passions are and get that out and, and just use that as a starting point. So that would be my first bit of advice is really, you know, just, just do it. Don't be, don't be afraid to do it and give it a shot. Uh, the other is uh, not to underestimate that the interest in the passion that you have, especially in a world where everybody is so connected through the Internet in so many various ways that a mistake that people make is feeling like, well, nobody is interested in what they have to say. And I've seen the most narrow subjects selling books from around the world. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. So just don't, don't underestimate that you, the book has sales potential as well. Don't underestimate the size of your tribe. It, that's exactly it. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a global phenomenon now. And especially uh, the, the, the ability to connect around interests is different than it ever has been. And there's a real opportunity there for people. And I think the third is ask for help along the way, that it doesn't have to be something that you need to do alone. Um, you can, it's easy to bring in resources relatively cheaply if for a cover design or a professional editor or, you know, just uh, someone to illustrate your book and, you know, and your friends, right, just the people, you know, on people who you work with and just ask for help and ask for feedback because people really are willing to do that in a way that um, it, it just, it, it's a, it makes me happy every day to see it. There's just a willingness to share and to collaborate that is um, and a willingness. That's, that's really a fantastic thing and will only become more so I think. That's wonderful. I really, I really like those pieces of advice and it's, it's less about, you know, making sure you have money and making sure you don't do this and more about, well, you know, this is, this is about creating an experience for yourself. It's, it really is. I mean, the, the thing about Blurb that, you know, every day I wake up excited about is that our, our whole focus is about allowing people to create and to share their passions. And in a world where in, you don't need to be picked by a publisher to do that, the, number of books and the number of stories shared is multiplying so rapidly and that's that's just a good thing for the world now there was one one final thing that i wanted to have a talk to you about before we we finished here today you guys not only produce these beautiful coffee table books but you've actually recently released a new tool that creates ebook files so the the mobi and the and the epub file for like you know for everything for novels and chapter books and all those sorts of things but you have this new tool that creates the ebook files and the interior pdfs for set fees so you pay ten dollars and that's it for the life of the book. You, you're able to produce these EPUB and Mobi files. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because Blurb has never traditionally been a, a novel printer. So BookRug we launched a few weeks ago, and it's a free book design software that lets you create your own professionally-looking print and e-books. It's a software that you can create an e-book, you can create a print book, and you can create a PDF all in the one file. So on your computer, you don't have to be connected to the internet to... Um, you know, to create your book, you can take so it means that you can take your time. It works for both Macs and PC. It comes with a set of professional design templates. So if you're new to book design, you can just use the templates, and it's a matter of dropping and dropping your content into those templates, and it's really flexible. 
or you can create your own templates if you want. You know, you don't have to follow that that template. Mm. So when we say templates, you can choose a template that is just for a novel, basically, can't you? Yeah. So there, there'll be templates for kind of uh, novels. There'll be templates for uh, more kind of photographic books. Um, there'll be templates for cookbooks. And so that that would allow you almost in a way to professionally typeset your print-on-demand novels because yeah. because you can pick like the various fonts and all that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, you can use any font. Well, for print books, you can use any font that's on your computer. With, with mm. e-books, it's, there's, you know, there's licensing fonts, so you have to use certain fonts. I really like the blurb tool. I used it previously to, it was just to create the one book. It was for my sister's 21st birthday. Right. And we just wanted to have a book that had a whole heap of different pictures of her and because she was living overseas at the time, we couldn't really throw her a party and embarrass her with a slideshow. So yeah, we put all, we packed all of the embarrassment into one book. <laughs> and what I really liked about it was that, because what you could do is that you give you a, a, like a mass of like 50 templates or something. Mm. So you just pick which one you wanted for that particular page. You would put yeah. in your text. You could change what size it was. Yeah. It was basically like a plug and play. It was great. It was a drag and drop. It's a drag and drop system. Yeah. So it's super duper easy and it makes sure that does it to the right size so you don't have to worry about bleed lines and all that sort of thing. I actually want to use Blurb to create a travel log. I'm primarily a writer but I, I love taking amateur photography and what I really want to do is I want to take the diary of my trip to Cambodia where we did a charity project. We actually went over and taught kids how to take photographs. Right. So we gathered a whole heap of 50 digital cameras and we'd run all of these workshops and so we'd put together this whole project and so I have a diary from being over in Cambodia. I want to create a book that sort of tells people how you can make a difference without asking people for money. Mm. You know, basically by asking people for old things and stuff like that. So I want to make a book, but I also, I have all of these beautiful photographs that I took, you know, that the kids took. Mm. And so I want to be able to present them next to the writing. So it'll probably, it'll be very writing intensive, mm. but at the same time, I want it to be in, in, interspersed with these beautiful photographs. Yeah, that sounds like a, sounds like a really beautiful project. I mean, it's, a, it's also a great way of giving back to the people that, you know, contribute to the books. The kids, yeah. Exactly. And how much does it cost to um, produce an ebook file using BookWrite? Using BookWrite, an ebook file would cost you nine ninety nine. That's irregardless of any like revisions you make in terms of typos and stuff like that. It's one fee per title. So Lovely. if you need to make an edit to that, that's it's an edit. It's not a substantial change that would require, for example, a, a different ISBN number. But it's an edit or a change or a photo swap, it's it's still the same price. It's the same title, one charge. I had a little birdie say to me that you guys not only had just worked out a deal with Amazon, but you were looking at working out a deal with Ingram distribution so that not only would these print-on-demand books be available through Amazon, but they would be available through all the online stores. Is is that little birdie correct? Yeah, you know, our, being able to distribute our, our photo books through Amazon means that books that are not standard industry size can still be purchased through Amazon, that they can be printed at Blurb and we can place them for, we can help authors place them for sale on Amazon and make them accessible. And then with Ingram, our trade book line is now globally available at, uh, I lose count of how many bookstores online and in books in physical bookstores Ingram has, but they've just done a fantastic job creating that network. 
this is a particularly big thing for children's book authors and for you know comic and graphic novelists to know that now you can use blurb and you now have global reach for your physical product not just for ebooks mm-hmm. for your physical product um, and and blurb is so easy to use it, <laughs> it is and it's just you know particularly in children's books and in graphic novels in the children's book world it's it's unusual uh, to be able to have cre- complete creative control over a book in the publishing world and to get your story and your illustrations and do that yourself and put it out there. And that's really at the heart of so many children's books is you know, the illustrations and the stories together and coming out of you know, your, your mind and doing it the way that you want. And now it's possible to do that, whether it's a graphic novel or a children's book, which traditionally were expensive and really hard to do. It's now you know, from your imagination onto the screen, onto, into a printed book and available globally. You know, I'm really excited about this because the goal for this is to see self-published blurb books be available in bookstores. I mean, I think it's it's every kind of author's dream to see their books in the bookstore, right? Indeed. Yeah, so Ingram Distribution is one step closer to realizing that dream. You know, once you have your book listed on the Ingram catalog, you know, the next step is just getting the local bookstore to, to order it because it's, it's, it'll be in their computer on their catalog. Well, it's an exciting time. Awesome advances for, for Blurb. Yeah, we're trying to trying to make self-publishing as easy as possible and trying to figure out all the pieces that are missing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. How can people find out more about or, or contact you or find out more about Blurb? The best way to contact me would be or find out about Blurb is through our website, so au.blurb.com, and that's an Australian website, or follow me on Twitter, BlurbOz, or Instagram at Blurb Oz. B-L-U-R-B-O-Z. Awesome. Oh, Oz. O-O-Z. Okay, awesome. Blurb Oz, yeah, O-Z. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you for listening today. I hope it inspired you. You can get more information on publishing and marketing or get my free Writer Killer Blurb workbook and one-hour crash course video on publishing at ebookrevolution.com.au. See you at the next show.